Worship Him. This is the title of today's message. And it's the last one in a series that we've been attempting to remind ourselves what we're about, or at least what we hope we're about here at London Christian Fellowship. And I'm ending with worship because I believe it pulls all of these other things together into one cohesive purpose. It weaves purpose throughout all the rest of them. Doris put this graphic together, which Zoe's going to put up here for you to see, that kind of shows all the things that we've been um, talking about here. And these are all the things that we talk that we want to be about as a congregation here. But worship pulls all of these things together. So thanks, Doris, for putting that nice graphic together for us to see all in one place. The question I want you to grapple with this morning is, do you worship God? Do you worship God? And I would ask that you not settle for the automatic answer that might come to mind. Well, of course I do. But think about it for a moment. Do you worship God? We probably all know that we should worship God, but do we? We often call this a a worship service, right? But is it? A worship service. We often talk about worship songs and singing them, but are they worship songs? Is my participation in church an act of worship? Is my service to others an act of worship? Is my preaching an act of worship? Well, they all could be acts of worship, but they aren't necessarily. We could sing a lot of worship songs and not worship. We could preach sermons and not worship. We could do all manner of things without worship that might seem like they're worship, but they actually aren't. And unfortunately, sometimes we do. Sometimes we do all kinds of what I would maybe call religious things, religious acts, without any kind of worship associated with them. The Pharisees were fantastic at executing all forms of worship, following the letter of the law. But here is what Jesus told them in Matthew 15, verses 7 to 9. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. All of this that we do could be for some other purposes. Very easily, actually. It, it's, it does, it's not hard for that to happen. In fact, it, without focusing on it, I think it happens often. We could be doing them for all of our other kinds of reasons. And our lives, actually. Is my life an act of worship? And why do we do what we do in our lives? My communication with others, my words, my text messages, my conversations, my messages, my posts. Are they an act of worship to God? Or is my singleness or my marriage or my parenting an act of worship? My attitude on the job, is it an act of worship? Is my entertainment 
my free time, what I do for fun, is that an act of worship? Or my abilities and skills and how I use them, are those acts of worship? And so I want you to think deeper than just the surface on that question. Do I worship God? There isn't a simple answer to this question, so don't settle for one. I'd like you to think about it this week, not just today, not just these next few minutes as we talk about it, but this week. Write it down if you need to on a whiteboard or wherever you can see it, or Doris actually put that phrase in the bulletin if you have one of those, and you can put it somewhere where you see it every day. And think about that question as you go through your life, your everyday routine this week. Do I worship God? Is this about worshiping God? I was encouraged and challenged by someone this past week who told me, I don't want to just go through the motions. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I want it to be for real. And I think it's a, it's a great reminder for me, it's a great reminder for all of us. None of us, I don't think, really want to be going through the motions. But sometimes we do just go through the motions. Do I worship God? Well, maybe the best way to answer this question is to look at some examples of others who worship. And I was planning to use several examples, but I really, as I developed the message, I never got off the first one. So we're going to look at one example this morning. The first people who came to mind when I was thinking of that question of what are some examples of people who worship God are the Magi. And so this might seem a little bit early for this kind of a message, but we're going to talk about the Magi here, and maybe you have a little, um, what's this called? For some reason it's escaping my mind. Nativity scene, yes. At home I had Doris dig these out, and so we're going to talk about, I don't know if this is how they looked or not, there's a lot of different pictures of how the Magi look, but they're pretty mysterious characters. We don't have a lot in scripture to go by about who these men were. They came from the east, it says, following a star, looking for Jesus. Were they wise men? They're called magi, but we're not, nobody's quite sure. Some people think they're wise men, magicians, astrologers maybe, priests, maybe kings. If you sang that song, We Three Kings. No one knows for sure, but listen to their words to Herod, the king, when they arrive in Jerusalem. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. This is what they have to say to Herod. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. God revealed to them who Jesus was. And they traveled... Nobody really knows for sure where they were from. We know they were from the east, so they traveled likely a considerable distance, maybe even possibly several months, in order to find Jesus. Who knows really what they were doing before that? Who knows how God revealed to them that Jesus was born? Who knows what kind of jobs they had or what families they left behind. 
or the kinds of things that they experienced on their journey, the kinds of dangerous, maybe, terrain that they went through, traveling through foreign countries and places they probably had never been before. And maybe I can imagine them on an evening, maybe after traveling a month, sitting around and saying, what in the world are we doing out here in the middle of nowhere looking for someone that we don't even know who they are? Following this star. I can imagine those conversations happening. So we have some, admir- some mysterious people here who are traveling to see Jesus. And the question that I had to ask myself is why? Why do this? Why risk all of this? Why take all of this time and all this work to travel? And back then, traveling was a little bit harder than what we experience in travel today, not just jumping in a car and going somewhere or getting on a plane and flying around the globe. It was much more difficult. Why do this? What was so important for them to do this? Well, they spell it out here in their words to Pharaoh, don't they? They came to accomplish one thing. One thing. They came to worship. That's it. To worship. All of that to worship. And I think it begs a question for each one of us. We look at that. Another question, why have we come? Why have we come? I mean, they answered the question for Herod, but why have we come? Why have we come here? To sing? To fellowship? To pray? To hear, hopefully, an interesting sermon? Out of habit? Maybe some out of religious leaning? to maybe check the box that I'm a good person. I don't know. Why have we come here? Why have we come? Why have you come to Jesus? It's a good question. To get something from him? To have him do something for you? To make your life easier? Why... Have you come to Jesus? Why have we come? Well, these magi give a simple answer. We have come to worship him. We started this series of messages with a message called Just Jesus, if you remember that. And I feel like we're coming full circle here. All the way back around. This is all about him, and this is all for him, isn't it? And that's the one I think where we often get confused. Is it for him? And then to ask the question for worship, why worship him? For these magi, why did they go all the to all this effort to just worship and he was only a child at that time. Why worship him? Well, he's the king. They said it very clearly. 
Where is he who was born king of the Jews? He's a king. They knew who Jesus was. It's not going to work for me to tell you or myself or us to tell each other that we should worship God. I don't think that really works very well because worship isn't something that you can just create. It's not something that you can just say, well, I did that. It's not just a simple action that we can do. And so, worship is something that we do when we believe someone or something is great and awesome. It's a natural response. We wouldn't think anything about it. It comes from within us. The Magi knew that this baby, Jesus, was great. And so their response was appropriate. And this begs another question, I think, for each one of us. Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is? I'm not just asking intellectually or what you learned in Sunday school necessarily, but in your heart, do you believe in who he is? Is that something that you've made your own? Worship comes from not just knowing Jesus is a king, but that he is the king, and not even that, but that he is my king. And so, do you know him? If you type those words in YouTube, you'll find several renditions of S.M. Lockridge, who a long time ago recounted this question, and then he gave many descriptions of who Jesus is. You should listen to it sometime if you haven't listened to it, but type those words in, do you know him? And it will come up with several options there. Do you know him? Somehow these mysterious magi from the east, from Iraq or Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, maybe even China, we don't even know for sure where they came from. But somehow they understood who had been born into the world. They knew who this was. And so because they knew, there was no question about what they were going to do in response. It wasn't like somebody told them what they needed to do. They knew what they needed to do. They were drawn to him to worship him. Do you know him? I've been wondering a lot about that this week. How much do we really know him? It shows in our worship. The answer to that question shows itself in our worship. How much we know him. Many of us are familiar with him. Maybe even overly so. It's possible. But do you know him? Do you know God the Father? God the Son? God the Holy Spirit. If your worship is waning, it might be an indication that you don't know Him that well. Even though you think you do, it might mean that you really don't know who He is. But you don't know Him like you think you do. If you know the God of the Scriptures and are filled with His Holy Spirit, 
I believe we are compelled to worship. We don't really have an option, a choice in the matter. I don't think so when we really know who he is. The Magi knew Jesus was the king and they worshiped. Continue on in verses 10 through 12. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They worshipped. And I'm just still astounded by this fact that this was the only reason they came, was to worship Jesus. They worshipped him, and then they turned around, and they continued their long journey back to wherever it is they came from. It astounds me. And they were prepared to worship. It's likely that even before they left on this long journey that they pondered what kind of gifts would be suitable for a king, for the king. And they brought those gifts along. I don't think that they picked them up on the way at some garage sale. They're like, hey, look at this stuff. This might be good. Or maybe something that you take, you know, from your house to one of those um, elephant gift, you know, exchanges where you're like, I don't know, I don't really use this thing anyway, so I'm just going to bring it here. No, I don't think it was like that. They didn't stop in Bethlehem at the corner store and say, hey, let's pick up something before we get over there. No, they thought this through. What, what kind of gifts would be appropriate for a king? It was part of their worship. They were exuberant in worship. They expressed themselves in ways that were appropriate for the occasion. Think about it. Searching for many weeks and possibly months. And finally, finding the house where Jesus is. And it says, at least the ESV says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Wow, that's a lot of descriptive words. It seems even redundant somewhat, doesn't it? Exceedingly with great joy. When we see God, when we see Jesus, when we truly see them, when we see the work of the Holy Spirit, we are overwhelmed. And I believe we will rejoice exceedingly with great joy. That goes back to the question, do you know him? Have you seen him? They rejoiced exceedingly. The writer here cannot use enough superlatives to describe how they felt. It was excessive. It's the kind of thing where the rest of us might have been saying, all right, calm down, it's okay. You know, when somebody gets really excited, it's Calm down. Don't get so worked up. But they were ecstatic with joy, as another translation puts it. Do you get the picture of what this was like for them? I think we could learn from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters when it comes to being expressive in worship. 
We can learn a lot from them, I think. To be excessive. Now, my Mennonite, Mennonite heritage, we, we were not what you would describe as excessive about probably anything. <laughs> and so we need a little balancing. Maybe some of the rest of you have that kind of personality or... And I'm not saying all of us need to be the same in how we express ourselves in worship. But there is room here to be excessive. We know who it is that we are worshiping. They also knew who they were as people, the Magi. We don't really know who they were. They were possibly fairly high up in the rung of society. It's likely that they were. But when they saw Jesus, they expressed themselves in only the way that anyone could to a king. It says that they fell down and worshipped. They fell down and worshipped. Now, if I did that here this morning, you would probably get a little nervous and uneasy about it. But that's what they did. They fell down and worshipped. They recognized, in some sense, I don't know how much, but in the same way do we recognize He is the Creator. We are the created. He's the potter. We're the clay. He is the Savior. We're the sinners. He's eternal. We're like a vapor. Our lives are like a vapor or mist. He's sovereign over all. We have real no control over much of anything, do we? Especially as we think through this last year. He is the shepherd. We're the sheep. He is the king over all. And we are his subjects. Worship happens when we see him for who he is, but when we also see ourselves for who we are in relation to him. It sets everything in proper alignment of how we live our lives and why it is that we do what we do. And I think we often get this relationship confused. We often amplify ourselves and minimize God. So often in life that's how we do it. Doris gave me a good illustration, at least I thought it was. It's kind of like if you've used a pair of binoculars, you know, you're looking out, and of course, you guys look really big, although it's kind of hard to see with glasses on. But it's kind of like when you try to take these binoculars and you put them the other way, you know, and you look through this side, and everybody looks really small. And I think sometimes this is how we look at God. We get these turned the wrong way. We make ourselves big, and we make God small, as if he's here to worship us in some way. Sometimes that's the way we act, that God is just here to do what we want, to satisfy me, to do whatever I think he should do. That's what God is here for. We get it all turned around backwards. Even our worship songs sometimes, it's interesting to listen to ourselves as we have argued sometimes about, well, I like hymns, and I like, I like the newer songs. I like the 
Contemporary, whatever contemporary means. That's all about our own preference. It has nothing to do with worship. Absolutely nothing. In fact, it's the opposite of worshiping God. It's worshiping our own preferences, our own desires for ourselves. Was that a good worship service? Well, I like this. I wasn't sure about that. That's how we do. A good worship service is how much I am able to get past myself and actually give glory to God, to see Him. When we truly see Him, we understand who we are and we fall down in worship, I believe. I think of Isaiah 6. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, it says, and his presence filled the temple, his train filled the temple. The passage is awe-inspiring. If you haven't read it recently, read it again. Isaiah chapter 6. Where Isaiah sees God. And what is his response to that experience? In verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you know him? Have you seen him recently? The Magi fell down and worshipped him. They saw the King, even as a child, and they fell down before him. And finally, they gave gifts, gifts worthy of a king. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I need to wrap this up, and I want to return to the first question that I asked this morning. Do you worship God? We've seen an example of some men who worship God, do you worship God? I believe we're a fairly confused people. We worship all kinds of things. We know how to worship. That's not really the question. Saturday this time of year is a big day of worship around this country. And Sunday afternoon as well. All kinds of worship happens here in this, in this country. Much effort, much fanfare, much money spent, emotion expressed, excitement. Has all the components of worship. We worship this country. We worship political parties. We worship all that this country has to offer us. We worship a life of ease and safety. We worship money. We probably know that. And stuff. We worship likes. What people think about us. In fact, we spend a lot of time on that sometimes. Trying to get people to like us for how we dress, how we look, what we say, how intelligent we sound, how smart we are, whatever it is. We worship people. 
basketball stars. It's interesting for me to listen to the discussion about who's the greatest of all time, you know, this big discussion. Is it LeBron? Is it Michael Jordan? Yeah. Movie stars, athletes, artists, writers, bloggers, bands, whatever it is, we know how to worship. We worship our families, our children. We know how to worship. Doris and I talked this week about how often we as leaders in this church have worshipped LCF. It has happened. I, I know it has happened for myself where we worship an organization and is it, is it going well and what do people think of it and all of those questions, are, they're about us. They're not about the king. It happens. I could go on and on and still not touch on all the things that we worship. We know how to worship, but how often have we really turned these binoculars the wrong way? Or maybe they're just focused on a lot of other things. I don't know. Do we worship God? I'm not certain that we know much about that and even what it looks like. And I don't think it's just because I'm doing my QA engineer evaluation of it. Do I worship him? I want to leave you with that question. Do you worship him? Why have we come? Do we know him? Do we know who we are in relation to him? Is my expression of worship befitting the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do I worship him?